town on the beach in Nicaragua. If so, you've come to the right place. Like most people, I used to have a steady job. I worked my butt off, chasing my tail, always looking forward to the next vacation. One day I decided that I needed to embed myself into a vacation indefinitely, and so that's what I did. Now my home is San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua. It's a small town of about 15,000 on the Pacific coast. I have a small sailboat charter business that covers my bills and leaves a bit left over to fund my habits. Sounds great, right? Well, it doesn't come without challenges. Even though we call it paradise, Nicaragua is still a third world country. So picture this. A mid-30s Texas guy and his two trusty Labrador-looking mutts set out on adventures as they stumble through paradise, trying their hardest not to stick out like sore thumbs. And believe me, they're not exactly camouflage. These are the stories of what life is like. Some good, some bad, but all entertaining. So sit back, relax, and live vicariously through me for about the next 30 or so minutes. And I promise you, this stuff can't be made up. It's a good thing you can't smell what I'm smelling. Because you would say, man, it smells like somebody's burning trash in your room. And that is because Ronnie is burning trash right outside my room. And it's windows and doors are open. If I've never mentioned it before, they love burning stuff around here, especially trash. I've gotten in the habit of hauling off my trash before Ronnie can burn it, though, because it just stinks up the whole place. Everyone hates the smell of burning trash, especially me. So sometimes he beats me to it. He gets the trash bag that's full, and he gets outside, and he gets it on fire. And I tell him, Ronnie, just leave it. I'll haul it off. And he says, no, 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 I'll burn it. I'll burn it. He piles a bunch of leaves and grass and clippings and then sets it all ablaze. I'd rather him not burn the leaves and grass, too. I mean, it just makes everything smell like smoke. The best is when he's got all my clothes hanging out there to dry, and then I walk outside, and he's got a fire right next to him, and then the smoke just drifts across all my clothes. I don't worry about rewashing them, though. I think most people around here suffer from the same problem, which is really not that big of a problem. 
because someone is still washing and drying and folding my clothes. And I'm willing to have them smell a little bit like smoke in exchange. Man, I got stung by a scorpion the other day. And it's only the second time in my life that I've been stung by a scorpion. Which is pretty good, considering how clumsy I am and where all I've lived and how much time I've spent outside. One would think that I might be a scorpion sting expert, but I'm not. I got stung one time on my pinky when I was about 12. And then just this other time, I uh, hopped out of the shower, grabbed a towel, was drying off, and I think it was inside the towel. Because I always look on the ground before I step anywhere if I'm barefoot. But I felt the pop, I looked down, and this little dude went to scurrying across the floor. Before I could even think about dealing with the pain, I thought, no, you don't. And I slipped a flip-flop on my foot and crunched him. And there's something different about killing an insect that has just attacked you. Because if it was just a little scorpion, he was just sitting there minding his thing. I mean, yeah, I'd probably still crush him. But I'd feel a little bit bad. Just a tiny bit. Maybe like 4 or 5% bad. But when he stings you and then he goes to running, 100% revenge, die, I hope it hurts you. I'm a human. You're a bug. And you will not exist around me. That's the feeling that I got. So it feels like a bad bee sting until the next day. And I don't know what it was about this guy. He must have had lots of venom or he got me a really good sting or what. Because a lot of people will say that like the next day or the next morning, your lips will tingle a little bit or your fingers will have a little bit of tingling sensation. And that's just the neurotoxin that they inject into their prey. That, you know, if I were a little rat or something tiny, it would kill me. But since I'm so big, it doesn't do anything except sting a little bit and tingle the next day. But my whole body felt like tingly. It's the feeling that you get if you were to get from like a hot tub and go jump in the snow and do snow angels. And then go back in the hot tub, pins and needles. It felt like that. Once I got up and my blood started moving, I got that feeling all over. It went away after about five minutes. But it was funny to... uh to feel that, and I knew what was going on. If it would have kept going on for about an hour and a half or two hours, I probably would have gone to the doctor. I hate scorpions. I killed a gigantic one yesterday. I'm talking if you put it in your palm, and it stretches out from the tip of your middle finger, if you were to stretch out the tail flat and it wouldn't curled up, it would be almost to your wrist. And I took great delight in smashing that one. He was super innocent. He was hiding underneath something that I picked up. I don't care. Still got him. I apologize for my voice today. I've been a little bit sick, so it may sound like I'm being extra snarfily or raspy or nasally. Just hang in there with me. The last week has probably been one of the roughest weeks that I've ever had in Nicaragua. I'm going to try to run you through it. I might miss some details here and there. I might get things out of order. I might have to go back, but... It was so bad that I didn't even want to chronicle out the notes in my iPad because I didn't want to think about everything that was happening. So let's rewind to middle of the week last week. I woke up in the morning. I went to go make coffee. I went to turn on the faucet, and there was no water. So that means that Ronnie needs to go turn on the pump that pumps the water from the well into the tank for the house, and then we'll have water. So he goes away. He comes back 30 minutes later, just like covered in sweat. And I go, what's the deal? He says, the well's broken. The pump won't work. And I was like, oh, no. 
Because the situation that I'm in in my house is it's in the process of being sold. And so there's a seller who's neglected the house for about five years, hasn't put any money into it because she knows that it's going to sell or that she thought it was going to sell faster than what it did. So the house has been kind of run down. Things haven't been maintained. It's pretty crappy. So in exchange for me dealing with all this stuff, I get a deeply discounted rent, which I've decided it's not worth it. So I know that the buyer doesn't want to spend any money on the house because right now the buyer's in control of the house. The seller turned it over to the buyer, said, here's the keys. You manage the tenant, manage repairs. I'm done with that place. So I'm reporting to the buyer who technically doesn't own the house yet, but they're going through the paperwork to get it done. She doesn't want to spend any money because she doesn't know if all the paperwork's going to clear it. There's some title issues and stuff that they're working through. So they're both mad that I present them where I present the buyer with this news and she said, I'm going to have to talk to the seller. I can't spend, you know, $1,000 on a house that I don't even know if I'm going to ever own. So a day goes by. They go back and forth a few times. I can see that it's not getting worked out. I know I need water. So I order a tank of water from the water delivery guy named Antonio who lives down the hill. He's got a well in a creek that's never dry. So he has water year round. He puts it in tanks and sells it to people, delivers it to their houses. So I said, Antonio, give me a tank of water. So Antonio comes up, pumps the water from his truck to my tank. We're good to go. I give the man his $30 and he leaves. Well, he also explained to me how he had a hard time getting up there. The hill was muddy. And if it's much muddier, he probably wouldn't be able to make it up. Okay, no worries. So now I've got water. Next morning, I go out there, try to make some coffee, turn it on, no water. I go, hey, Ronnie, there's no water in the tank. So Ronnie runs up the hill to the tank. Comes back down. I go, what's up? He goes, there's no water in the tank. I said, Ronnie, I just told you that. So he said, where did it go? I said, I don't know. Maybe it went back down into the well. He said, I don't know. I don't think so. I said, well, it's got to go somewhere. Well, come to find out, it was a toilet that was running in a bathroom that I never used. So it ran all the water out of the tank. It rained all that night. The road was extremely muddy. And Antonio says he can't make it up to bring me water. So I've got no water. So a little bit more of the day goes by, goes by. Finally, I'm driving out. I see him. I said, hey, what if we hook my truck, which is four-wheel drive, up to his truck? And I said, I'll, I'll drag you up the hill, and then hopefully you can, we can get you all the way to the tank. He said, okay, we try it. And, you know, I don't really know what I was thinking. I've got lots of experience with trucks and mud and heavy things, and I knew from the beginning that this was not going to turn out in my favor. Or Antonio's favor. So he's cool with it. I said, well, we'll give it a whirl. So we latch up the tow strap. He's got his, it's a two-wheel drive, half-ton Chevrolet with a 400-gallon tank in it, full of water. And the thing is squatting so hard, I'm surprised the tires aren't popped. Tires are bald as they can be. It's a four-wheel drive truck, but the front wheels don't turn. So we hook up to my little Toyota, and uh, he wants to go until he stops and then wants to hook up. And it's so funny because all guys, they want to do everything differently. There's a million ways to get things through mud. And the favorite thing for me to do is sit back and watch people argue how to do it. So anyway, so he wanted to go till he got stuck and then me come and hook up to it. And I said, no, then we'll be like standing in the mud. That's going to be terrible. Then you won't have any momentum. I said, it'll be better if we hook them up first. We just go together. And then once you start slowing down, I'll pull out the tension and I'll just kind of pull you up behind me. He said, okay, that's fine. So we go at it. We're hooked up. I make it up the hard part. There's a little hairpin turn. He falls down in this rut. 
and he starts flooring it, and he's just sinking and sinking. And I said, stop, stop. So we stop, turn around. He's going back down the hill. We get him unstuck, and then he starts sliding backwards. That tank was so heavy, he was sliding down the hill. All of his wheels were just locked up. His brakes were on. They were just sliding in the mud. He didn't know what to do, so he turned his wheels. Well, the whole truck spins sideways. Now, he's perpendicular to the road with his cab right in the middle of the road. His back tires are off in a ditch that's three feet deep of mud. So we both get out and we look at it. And we decide there's no sense in trying to pull him up the hill. we got to figure out how to get him back down the hill. So got to get his nose turned around, push him down the hill, and he'll be fine. So we rig up this big toe strap. We go around a tree. We're yanking on it, yanking on it. And finally we get him where he spun around facing downhill. And he starts to go. And then the same thing happens going forward. And so now he's like turning his wheels and he's still going the wrong way. He's got his brakes locked up. And the, the, that truck is just going where it wants to go. And so... He slides back off in this big, deep ditch up to his wheel, like the middle of his wheels. And so now I'm thinking, oh, man, this is going to be tough because it was buried. I said, first thing you need to do is drain all that water out of your tank. And when I said that, I thought to myself, surely he knows he needs to hook a pipe up to it and divert the water out, like out away from his truck. Because if he just opens that valve and it drains out, it's going to fall below the truck and the mud that he's in is just going to get wetter and muddier. So I get back in the truck. I kind of maneuver around to get to where I can pull on him. I'm not really watching what he does. And I get back out, and half that tank's gone, and it's just it's just a lake underneath his vehicle. I go, Antonio, why did you not put a pipe on there? He's like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. I go, I know it's fine, but I'm the one trying to get you out of the mud. So the entire tank drains out, and then I get in front of him, and I go to pull, and I go to pull, and he's trying to tell me where to go, and I'm trying to tell him where I want to go, and before you know it, I'm stuck too. It's pouring down rain, covered in mud. I have no water at my house, remember, so I cannot take a shower. My pool is green. So we finally work at it, we work at it, we throw sticks underneath his tires, we get shovels, we get Antonio out, and I go back down to his house, and he's got these big blue 55-gallon plastic drums, he goes, we'll put these in your truck and then fill them up. He's got a big tank that's suspended that he uses to load his truck. So we load the blue barrels in the back of my truck. And then he goes to fill up one. And then he goes to fill up the other one. And I go, whoa, stop. I said, if you fill this one up, I'll have no way to get these barrels out of my truck. I said, I just I need one empty one and one full one. He goes, okay. So we got it sorted out. We got them tied down. I made it back home, no problem. I pull up, Ronnie's there waiting, Ismail's there waiting. They've got buckets. They, they knew what was happening. I think they heard us. And we started the bucket brigade, offloading the water from one barrel to another barrel using buckets. And I don't think I've mentioned yet, but my buddy Wojtek and his girlfriend Catherine were staying with me at the time. So they, were, they were watching this fiasco go down, and I'm sure they were thinking, why did we stay here? So anyway, so now we've got the water situation somewhat sorted out. I got two blue buckets on the front porch of my house, which is a very common sight amongst uh, poor Nicaraguan families. But in front of the type of house that I live in, which is by no means super nice, but for here it's nice, you don't typically see the blue buckets on the front porch. So I go inside, I get settled, I take a bird bath. I'm outside lying in the hammock. It's about 10 o'clock. 
Transformer explodes. Power goes off. This is right before this big holiday weekend. Like, I think this is on Thursday of last week. And I thought to myself, there's no possible way they're getting this thing fixed. Like, tomorrow's a holiday. It's a big, huge party weekend. No way it's going to happen. Sure enough, they came out and they got it fixed. A couple days go by, still living out of blue buckets, flushing the toilets from water in the pool, which is green. And Monday night, so we had power went out Thursday. They got it fixed Friday, went Saturday and Sunday with power. Monday night, about the same time, 10 o'clock, I'm outside. Transformer explodes. Power goes out. I thought, well, they got it fixed quick last time, but you never know. So I reported it the next morning at 7 o'clock. They said, oh, yeah, we'll have someone out there look at it. 10 o'clock, nobody's here. 12 o'clock, nobody's here. 1 o'clock, nobody's here. And I'm still call- I'm calling like every 45 minutes or an hour. I just walk outside and I hand the phone number of the phone to Ronnie and make him call. So I'm calling every few hours, making Ronnie harass him. About 6 o'clock rolls around. I told Ronnie, I said, man, get fussy with him. So he's like, hey, what's the deal, man? You guys been all day saying you're going to be here. You're going to be here. And they said, well, it's probably too late. I don't think they're going to make it today. So what can you do but call a Nicaraguan friend who knows who to call? So I called my buddy Amadeo, who works for a property management company. And this guy, like, I don't know how he does it, but he's got phone numbers to the entire world. Like, if they still had Rolodexes, his would be the biggest ever. Because this guy can get anything done from getting a fake serial number put on a bicycle and then creating the paperwork to match it to, hey, our power's out and we need it fixed pronto. So he made a call for me and he said, yep, they already came out there and looked at it once. They think the transformer is ruined, but they're going to come back out there when they can fix it. They've got another emergency in a neighborhood called Pacific Marlin, which is like the nicest neighborhood in the area. He said they've got a house there, probably a $700,000 house. Hadn't had power for 15 days. That that was their priority. So as soon as they were done with that, they were going to come on over. That was at like 7 o'clock Monday night. He said, don't worry. Uh, They work late into the night. I said, okay. So they never showed up. I wake up Tuesday morning in a giant pool of sweat in my bed. And I thought, well, it sure would be nice to take a shower. So I walk outside, and I get my bucket full of water, and then I wash myself off with buckets. And then it hits me. I think to myself, you wanted Nicaragua, buddy? Here you go. You're waking up sweaty. You're bathing with buckets. You got mosquitoes everywhere. Your house is full of flies. You're living amongst moths. Here you go. And so that's when it also hit me that it's almost time for a change, I think. Um, I'll always come back here, but I think before long, I'm going to check out for a while. I probably won't sell my truck. I'll relocate the big green egg to a friend's house and then take everything and my dogs back to the first world for a while. Who knows how long, but that's the plan. I've got another project in the works. Either way, I'll be podcasting. So Tuesday goes by. Nobody comes. We're calling all day. Calling Amadeo. Amadeo's calling the guy. We're not getting a response. Tuesday goes. Wednesday comes and still no power. And now by this time, the road has dried up enough to where Antonio can truck water up to the well tank. And he dumps it in there and then it flows down to my house. So now I'm back to having running water. Wednesday morning, Wednesday afternoon, 
I'm like so ready to go at this point. I'm pulling bags out of my closet. I'm packing them. I'm thinking I'm leaving. Well, I planned on leaving Friday the 1st, which I still am planning on leaving. But I was trying to rush everything and just be out of here with my dogs and everything and not come back for a while. But it was just too rushed. I didn't have time. But that's what I was doing Wednesday. So Wednesday, finally, about 3 o'clock, power comes back on. Go and talk to the guys that were working on it. They said, yep, it's uh, Transformers sparking or arcing because the trees are hitting it when they're blowing in the wind. And I said, well, whose job is it to maintain the trees at the power lines? He said, well, we don't really know, but we recommend the homeowners do it. Of course you do. So that's another bill. I went back to the buyer and the seller of the house. I said, look, here's the deal. This transformer keeps tripping. Here's what it costs. Still hadn't heard back from him. So more than likely, I'm moving out of the country. But if I do stay, I'm 100% changing houses. I won't have much to talk about in the way of crappy houses. But my blood pressure will probably fall back down to normal. One thing I've thought about before, I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on here, but observing whenever Ronnie was calling into the power company, I noticed that people don't ever ask when or they don't ask for like a benchmark as far as like timing goes. So I call him and he's listening I'm listening to him talk to them and he hangs up and I go, Well what would they say? He said, They said they're coming today and I said, Well what time? He said, I don't know. I'm thinking, like, if that were me on the phone, and I think a majority of first world people, we would want to know when they're coming and why they can't come sooner. How fast can they get here? And here, the Nicaraguans are like, well, I mean, we told them. They know, so obviously they're going to get here as fast as they can. And that's just one of the differences that, that I've noticed across the board is that expectations are, you know, give me a date, give me a deadline, let me know when's a good time to call back. And they just don't do it. And so I told Ron, I said, man, when someone tells you something, I said, why don't you ask them when? He's like, well, I don't know. I said, maybe you should start trying. He kind of just shook his head left and right. And so I guess it's maybe it's rude. Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe he just didn't feel comfortable because no one does it. But if I had to guess, I'd say that something is a little bit rude about that in their culture, which is weird to me because to us, it just seems natural. Like help me plan my time accordingly so I can make sure I'm here to make sure you can do your job and we'll both benefit. But I guess they don't see it that way. I went to Pali this morning, the grocery store, which is about a quarter of the size of a Bucky's gas station. And I stocked up on groceries for Ronnie and his wife and his baby to have while I'm gone for about 10 days. And I was walking through the store, had a full basket of groceries. After cleaning up a big puddle of spilled oil, because I, I grabbed a bag of oil cooking oil threw it in the cart and the bag busted and oil just went all over the floor and I'm like cleaning it up with some paper towels I just found a, a roll of paper towels and opened it and started cleaning them up and then finally someone came over and took over that worked there so after that happened I'm pushing the basket through the aisles and there's a lady there that's taking bags of pork rinds chicharrones and pulling them off the shelf and putting them back in a basket and like I'm curious. I'm a curious guy. So I look at that and I think, I wonder why she's doing that. Well, instead of just wondering, I ask them, I ask her in like perfect Spanish, why are you taking those bags off the shelf and putting them back in the basket? And no response. She didn't turn around. Like she, was, she wasn't making eye contact with me. She was looking forward, doing her job. And I kind of peek around the side so that she could see me 
out of her peripheral vision, and I say that. Absolutely zero response. And then I thought, maybe she didn't hear me. And then I go, are they bad? And she just goes, no. And that's it. That's all she said. And so I just go, no, 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 right back to her, which probably wasn't the most ambassador-like thing to do, but I just kind of erupted a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm on my last string here, so cut me some slack. And so that's just another difference in the cultures. Just no. First of all, why are you asking me that? I'm here trying to do my job, and you want to know what's wrong with this? Like, just do your shopping. Leave me alone. That's probably what they're thinking. She's probably at home right now recording a podcast about how friendly this stupid gringo was at the grocery store. Ronnie has successfully passed the dirt bike test. Yesterday, I was driving home. Ismail was riding away from the house on a dirt bike, and I knew it wasn't his. I looked at it. I go, that's Ronnie's dirt bike. And he goes, yeah. I said, why isn't he up there practicing? And he's like, I don't know. He's scared. And I said, turn around, follow me back up there. We need to make him practice. And he just got all happy and was smiley. It's like, yeah. So he follows me back to the house. We pull in, and I go, Ronnie, why are you not practicing? And he goes, no, manana, manana. I go, no, not manana, today, right now. And he's all worried about on the side of the motorcycle, there's a little plastic trim piece that pops on there that kind of covers up a little piece of the exhaust. Anyone who's ridden dirt bikes knows that the exhaust gets hot, it's near your legs, you just got to pay attention to where your legs are. And if you do anything stupid, if you fall down, then yeah, your leg might get burned. It's not the end of the world. Everyone who's ridden dirt bikes has burned their leg on the exhaust. So he's like, no, no, I don't, I don't want to burn myself on the exhaust. I go, Ronnie, come on. I was riding this thing when I was 10. I said, get on there and ride it. And so he <laughs> walks over there and he gets on. And he cranks it and it cranks right up. I look down. They got a new carburetor on it. They've soldered up the gas tank. There was a hole in the gas tank, and they used they just gooped solder on it. They got it plugged up. So he gives a little gas, and he rides, and he, he does great. And he goes in the driveway, and then he lets off the clutch, and it stalls, and he kind of looks back. And the whole time, he just looks at us to see if we're laughing, and then he laughs. And I felt bad for him because of the last couple of times, me and Ismail kind of clown him a little bit. So I made sure to, like, give him some confidence. I was like, yeah, you're doing awesome, Ronnie. I said, a little more gas, a little more clutch, kind of explaining things to him. Made sure to tell him he was doing a good job. Well, as the day went on, like his confidence got better. And me and Ismail had him going around the house on a little track, you know, a little predetermined track. And then once he had that down, then we would alter the track to make it a little more challenging, whether he had to go down a hill or up a hill or through a little mud hole. And so finally it got to the point where I needed to make it like you need to jump up the challenging level a little bit. It had been kind of easy, easy, easy. And so I kind of point down this hill and I go, come around here, go around this tree and back up. And Ronnie just looks at me and he shakes his head and rides past with this huge smile on his face. Like, nope, he drew the line right there. He didn't want to ride it. It was too hot. He did that. He made progress. He was done for the day. So he went back. It's sitting there and Ismail has his motorcycle up there too. And Ismail just says, why don't we go ride down the hill and back up? I'll ride my motorcycle, you ride yours. So Ronnie, as he finished up the last little bit of a cigarette, goes, okay. And then he flicked it down in the grass <laughs> right in front of my house. I said, Ronnie, you're going to have to pick that up one day. He said, well, maybe, maybe not. So whatever. They go out and they come back and nobody's bloody and nobody's burnt and nobody's bruised. 
So I asked Ismail, I said, how do you do? He said, oh, he did fine. We went all the way down to my house and then back up. So Ronnie's getting checked out. He's almost been cleared to ride solo. And then me and Ismail both require that he practices with someone on the back before he throws his wife and baby on that thing with him. So I said, Ismail, you're going to be the crash test dummy. <laughs> he said, no, no, not me. He said, we'll get some bags of flour and, and tape them to the back of the seat so he's used to the weight. But it's going to be Ismail. I guarantee it. Hopefully, by the time I get back from out of town, he'll have it sorted out. I'm a little bit nervous that his confidence is going to be too high. He's going to throw his wife on that thing, and something bad's going to happen. But luckily, it's only dirt road between my house and his house, and I don't think he's anywhere near confident enough to ride it on the main road. So that's the dirt bike update. I think that's going to wrap up today's show. I apologize. It's been a while, but you heard what I've been through. So I'm leaving today, headed to Managua, going to spend the night. I fly out at like 640 tomorrow morning, and I'll be back on the 10th of July. Hopefully I'll come back with some first world stories and some stuff to talk about. I'm also aware that there's no sound effects in today's show. That's because I'm in a hurry. Getting ready to walk out the door. So there's not going to be much editing in here either. Thanks again for listening to Life in Paradise podcast. Check us out online, nikasaleandsurf.com, or send me an email, nikasaleandsurf at gmail.com. Oh, yeah, one more thing. I've got three hours of podcast recorded with my Polish buddy, Wojtek. So that's going to take some time to go through and chop up and edit, but I'm going to do it because this guy... He's got more stories than anyone I know. And I got a lot of them. He's got so many more, but I've got a lot. Thanks again for listening. Life in Paradise podcast. Keep it tranquilo.
Country, tis of thee. Sweet land of liberty.